Got it. Okay, are we on? Are we live? We're good. Three, two, go for it. Okay, everyone. Welcome to the first Zoom type of meeting on the Soccer Performance Podcast. And it is a Zoom meeting because we have an international guest. This is Kyle, Kyle Waring. He's from the UK. I've worked with Kyle. We've met a crew and then we've worked together in China as well. Kyle has a lot of experience working in professional football, you know, in a wide variety of scenarios with uh, male youth academy, female academy, and men's first team. So Kyle's got a lot of knowledge and insight to bring to everyone here. And um, so Kyle, once, uh, I guess, do you mind starting off with a brief little history of your background and where you've worked? Yeah. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me on. Um, and yeah, I'll introduce myself. So um, I'll start. So I started my journey in strength and conditioning and sports science um, back in university, where I really got the bug for it. Um, I started doing fitness work with uh, the university men's football team, which I was involved with. Um, and I was thinking, this is great, you know. You know, I wonder if this is a job. I was like, I'm really enjoying this. And I was applying, I was applying what I was learning from my course to the boys, just doing basic stuff. Like I'm cringing about what I used to do now, but um, it was it was good at the time. Um, I was thinking, yeah, I think this is great. Yeah, and my focus set on being in the military um, from a young age, so I was I was really focused towards that. So I had a year after university, just training myself because. I was a bit out of shape after university. Um, and then I was getting really, really into my training. Um, and I had this idea of having a backup plan of getting into strength and conditioning. And so I'm looking into it because um, I really got the love for it in university, working with the football team. So looking into it, looking into UKSCA, which is our accreditation system in the UK, and what I needed to do to get that. Um, and so I got into that. And it is a really difficult industry to get into in the UK, um, especially in football, because I really wanted to work in football. Um, and I needed to get voluntary experience uh, to build a portfolio. And got in touch with all the Northwest clubs, didn't get any replies apart from Blackburn Rovers. And they said to me, well, there's nothing going with the men's or the boys, but you're welcome to come and speak to the ladies manager um Gemma Donnelly her name is so I was like yeah brilliant drove down there and then started voluntary work uh, shadowing the lad that was in there Jack at the time and then before I knew it I got offered two paid roles one with the ladies team one with the girls team and I was a, I had to take a decision do I want to join the military or do I want to go down the strength and conditioning route um so I chose strength and conditioning and didn't look back uh, I moved down to Blackburn I was working in Virgin Active Gym full-time as a PT um, for a short while whilst working with the, the football teams, uh, which was good, good experience for me. Um, and then I took my work privately, started working in a private gym uh, where I was exposed to professional boxers, um, MMA fighters and different athletes, as well as younger footballers that were coming in, um, which is really, really good. Got attached to one well-known professional boxer, boxer called Luke Blackledge, ended up going around Europe with him um, from time to time in training and 
competitions, and, um, et cetera, and preparing him for that. Um, and during that time, I uh, got a position with the Boys Academy uh, and their, their Cat 1 Premier League status uh, at Blackburn cool. Rovers. So, so, Carl, you mind touching on the difference between Cat 1 Cat 2, a kind of academy levels there in the UK? Yeah, so there's a category system. So it's Cat 1, Cat 2, Cat 3. Um, category 1 status. Um, so a lot of the Premier League clubs have got Category 1 academy status in the under-18s um, and under-23s. So that means that they compete against the best, the better teams. They've got a, a bigger staff system. Uh, they have to hit certain criteria, especially in the strength and conditioning um, side of things. That's what I'm really knowledgeable on. Uh, so they've got to have certain staff in place. So it gives people more jobs. Uh, they've got to be doing certain testing standards. So it's all sort of uh, level, which is good. It just boosts the level of it, which is good. Does it determine? Yeah. Does it end up being determined based on how, if essentially, if the club can afford it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a big factor. That's a big factor. Because it's, um, so that stops. For- it seems like the the, your, the difference between just because I'm not familiar with it, the difference between Cat One and Cat Two is, is it Cat One being a higher level of quality or of well-rounded training. Or- yeah, yeah. It's like that's the. It's the prestigious level that all the academies want to get to, uh, but you have to be financially supported by the club to do that. First of all, um, you got the people in place, and then you get assessed on whether you're good enough. Um, and especially during the, in the sports science and the strength and conditioning uh, side of things, there's there's all sorts of criteria you've got to meet, um, and then you've got to keep up status as well. So they'll come in any time now, and they'll just check you doing things okay are you doing this testing every day you say you're doing this are you doing this are you doing this hydration testing that you say you're doing okay right you're doing that good you know like they've got to hit these because you're doing all these reports we're doing this okay can you prove it blah, 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 blah. so there's a lot of paperwork involved but i'd say it has a huge effect on the mm-hmm. academy system in the uk like positively so with that like um is there any like noticeable differences you'll noticed? I mean, there's that logistical stuff, you know, there's the higher standards, but in terms of the organization or the talent or the physical development, is there a difference you notice between cat one and cat two that maybe that, that extra staff brings, like what, what differences do the players uh, in terms of service receive? Yeah, it's better quality. You know, there's more people concentrating on, less things so there's nobody stretched so like I was working in Blackpool Football Club Academy uh, for six weeks for a pre-season and their category two and we were actually going through the assessment at the time so I helped I had to help with that which was a nightmare but um basically I was stretched it was me and some interns, luckily, that were running the whole show. Whereas mm-hmm. in the Category 1 Academy, like Blackburn Rovers, right. um, you had head strength and conditioning coach, under-18s, assistant. You had head for under-16s. Um, and then now they've got a third, because I know they've got to have a third in there. Um, there's more physios. Um, they've got more funding, et cetera, et cetera. So more quality basically, if that answers the question. 
Yeah, for sure. So clearly, you know, those players get way more tailored physical programs, you know, better time with physios and, you know, making sure the players are all taken good care of. Uh, yeah, sure. cool. Sure. And with the women's, you said you were first team and academy simultaneously. Yes. At the same time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so was, was that yeah. like, um, what was that like uh, the gap between the academy and first team? Like, was, you know, do you find there's a big gap between the under 18 women's and, and getting to the first team and also i guess you could touch on for the boys as well because you were you were preparing the under 18s for first team as, as well um i said the biggest difference for me physically is the under 18s they get a two-year scholarship which is full-time in the in the english academy system right mm-hmm. so from 16 upwards 17 18 they're getting educated and then they're in there full-time for so they're full-time athletes. Yeah, they've got to have schoolwork done and stuff like that, but they're in pretty much every day mm-hmm. if they need to be. Yeah, um, sure. And that has a huge positive effect on their physical uh, performance. So they're strong, they're powerful, they're fit, they're fast, because they've got that window of opportunity where they're growing, testosterone's flowing, it's perfect. Um, you can turn them into, if they've got the right coaching, you know, you turn someone from, um, an average athlete into an excellent athlete, you know, and it's that's easily done with the right programming, especially over, over a two-year, a two-year stretch, right? Um, and then the girls' system, maybe soon that'll be in place, but that's not in place at the moment. You know, they're getting exposure to some brilliant coaching, some really high-level systems, um, especially at Blackburn Rovers. Um, and then that goes to show, you know, England just won the, the women's Euros, right? You know. Um, it shows that something's working. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, when you come up against things like uh, teams from America or Canada, so they used to come over, um, like a college team, for example, and they used to turn up, and our girls would be like, "Oh my god, they are beasts!" Because they would just be like absolute units. They'd be fast, athletic looking, like you know, like really, really good movers, really fast and fit. Um, technically not amazing. Our girls are always technically better, um, but it depends on my opposition, right? But that was very noticeable as well. And obviously those girls on scholarships in the USA, a lot of British girls go over to do that. And that's a full-time model as well. Full-time exposure to strength and conditioning, mm-hmm. uh, full-time exposure with a proper coach, um, you know, in and around the gym on the pitch, etc. It's very noticeable. So they're the biggest differences for me. Yeah, for sure. So, and it seems like all the best Canadian players, one, maybe you probably know this better. They're actually, well, I mean, there's not much for, I mean, there's nothing for professional women here in Canada. So they're all going overseas. Eh? One, where are they mostly going? Yeah, no, and it's very interesting. I actually wanted to, to ask Kyle that question, because if you look at like a Canadian girl, her, her uh, ambition is to, if they want to go professionally, right, is to go to, let's say, a country like England, where there's a lot more opportunity. Um, but because that is so difficult to, to do realistically, you know, the goal ends up being to go to the, to these college programs. But I was, I was curious to hear you say that, that you were saying that a lot of these girls come in are actually, you know, taken back by, by the physicality, maybe not so much the, the, the level of play, like you said, but it's, it's interesting to see nowadays how much, a physical presence is making a difference, right? I think when there's uh, when there's enough technique, 
and you get these, 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 in this case, these females that are so physically advanced, it seems to be, uh, 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 you know, it seems to be kind of like where, where football is going in the female side. Right. I find that here too. I work with a lot of division one players, extremely fit, very, very fit, very physically, um, strong, but then on the technical side, they, they, they lack slightly. And that seems to be the, the parallel along the, the, the whole division one, you know, NCAA league. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd agree with that. Fully agree with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One thing I wanted to ask you, what, what's the perspective or what's the, what's the, um, how, how does, how does a, a, a British female player look at Canadian, for example, because I know that the national team right now is on a, is on a, is on a high, the U S females national team has always been done well, but how do you guys look at it in comparison to European countries that do well? Um, difficult to say. I've not been in there. You right? few years since I was in there, um, so I don't want to speak on behalf of them. Um, you know, like the what the systems you've got over there, especially the college systems. Obviously, like they're the world renowned, right? Especially for physical development. As over here, everyone's like, "Oh yeah, blah blah blah." You know, like it's always been a thing. You know, you go to America. You know they're going to turn into an athlete. You know it's like oh, oh Canada. So like, yeah, I mean that's that's a huge difference. But I don't want to speak on behalf of them. Um, obviously, we're they're very proud here of obviously the technical abilities, right? Like mm-hmm. English football is really proud of that. You know, like the systems in place, all that sort of stuff, um, and strength and conditioning and sports science in the female game is just growing and growing and growing. It's, it's is there a level now where it's just like it's never been before? There's always more jobs coming, which is great for people like me and um, and, and, and Maz, Mario. Um, and it's, yeah, it, it's growing, which is good. Um, yeah. Yeah, cool. So, I mean, we could go on then a bit more kind of later in your career when you started getting involved more. So you led the academy at Crew. Um, then you ended up, you know, in China working in first team. And then now soon you'll be, you know, back in an academy setting. Um, so I was wondering if you can uh, touch upon that and then we'll kind of go in details specifically, uh, especially you do a good job of this. You know, what are key criteria for you in keeping players healthy and on the pitch? Because as we know, um, that's a big part of the, the job and that's probably the biggest impact you can make uh, as a SNC coach. Cool. Um, I could speak about this all day, but I'll uh, narrow it down to some key points. Um, so first and foremost, um, for a younger player, a young academy player, male or female, um, they need to be on a long-term development program. Um, and that's been proven. Um, and from experience, I know it works. You know, so like if you look at players now, um, that are playing um, full-time in first teams um, in and around the UK, so English teams, Welsh teams, Scottish teams. Um, you know, there's the athletic presence and the athletic ability of the players is no joke, you know. Um, we were just chatting the other day. I went to watch crew first team, and there's a handful. Well, there's always a lot of academy players playing in the first team, and it's amazing how they can just do that, you know. It's cool to watch. 
you know, Blackburn is the same. Um, there's a couple in Blackpool. Um, and the preparation that's gone into that, you know what's going into that, and you're like, wow, brilliant. Um, and they're competing, they're running so fast. They're um, playing games, two games a week, maybe. And they've got to be so fit and strong to deal with that and stay on the pitch and stay free from injury that the programme that they've previously done has a, has a huge effect, um, especially in that, that two-year window where they come in full-time. Um, and then, obviously, like the English academies, they start with the kids um, 10 and upwards will be doing a strength and conditioning programme. Um, but to get back to, I've digressed a little bit, but to get back to the system, um, a long-term development system is really, really productive. Um, and that's based on movement competency. How well can they move? Like technique before weight. Okay, so for example, someone's got to squat really well before they start using weight. That's just a small example of a small movement that we do. Um, and that goes in the gym and on the pitch. So strength development through lower body, upper body, um, core strength, and then pitch work, so speed work, change of direction work, agility work, that all gets developed in a long-term model based around technique and quality and movement. And then the intensity comes later and later. And before you know it, you blink and they're lifting a, an incredible amount of weight. They're super strong. They're robust to injury. Um, and that's how it works. Hopefully that answers the question. Yeah, no, cool. We were we were chatting about this earlier, Awan, on, on previous episodes, how, you know, the, you know, a lot of academies, they, they have that curriculum and Kyle did really well at establishing a curriculum. Like under 14s had certain progressions they had to go through in that year. And then under 16s had their progression. So by the time they're under 18, then you can start to, you know, they have a that foundation where you can then prepare for the first team. So, and I, I definitely think that's lacking here. Um, you know, everyone wants something fast. You know, everyone wants to their kid to be a beast within, you know, three months or something. You know, it's... It's a backwards here. That's a recipe for disaster, isn't it? Sorry, yeah. I would have cut in there, like, just for injury. Yeah. You know, like, oh, my God. How many people have we seen that have just crushed themselves um, over the years? They've just done too much too soon. They get injured, and that's that's them. They're going to carry those injuries, those niggles, for a, for a long time. They're gonna, they need a professional to clear it up, and that's going to affect their game. That's why they need somebody in there telling them exactly what, what's good, what's bad what to do, what not to do. There's a lot of misinformation out there. Yeah. Just wanted a little rant about that. Yeah. It's interesting that, that, that you say that because the, the competitiveness of a player, and I find it in, in kind of in my world, the competitive, competitiveness of a player doesn't allow them to kind of listen to their injuries, right? A lot of players that don't know will just say, this is just what being an athlete is. You got to just kind of play through that. And it's comes down to probably just a lack of knowledge. And you look at the, the, you know, using England, for example, the players that are at the national team level have been in professional academy since they were nine years old, receiving top class information, right? And it, it goes to show, it makes it seem like, you know, they're just good footballers, but I guarantee you they're great in the gym. They're good with recovery. They're, they're, they're well-rounded. And I think a lot of players here in Canada, due to the lack of exposure to these professional systems, are, are unaware of that. And I think they're under the misconception that, you know, being an athlete means playing injured. When I think you can probably touch on that more, you know, the level of, of 
recovery and preparation that goes into a professional player is equal, if not more than the actual training itself. Right. Oh, without doubt. Yeah. Because you might train for a couple of hours a day, but what are you doing for the, so if you train for two hours, what are you doing for the rest of that day? The, yeah. the remaining 22 hours, you know, it's vital. And it's, that's why education is a huge part of the academy system as well. Right. Um, presentations, um, setting up a curriculum, educating them on nutrition, rest, sleep, all that sort of stuff, lifestyle. And then they carry that into their professional career because when they start playing games, there's no time to learn. It's too late. They're playing two games a week or maybe three three games in the space of seven days in the championship. Well, you haven't got any chance to learn. There's no time. There's no time to develop physical qualities. Uh, maybe in the off-season, you might get four weeks if you're lucky. Right. But you know, that's why that academy age group is vital for yeah. physical and um, knowledge development. Right. Kaya, let me ask you this. When, when a young player goes into that academy setting, at what age do they tend to focus on those things like sleep habits and good nutrition? I feel like it seems like, you know, the earlier you can make a player aware of these things, like you said, by doing presentations, by just simply sitting them down and having them, you know, know these things, it helps them so long. But roughly when, when is an academy, when is an academy player focusing on those things? Is it more at the earlier stages of their of their years or is it later on? I'm really curious with that. Um, as early as possible, really. Um, obviously the, the level of information provided to the players is going to change as they get older. They're going to be drip fed a little bit more complex information, if you like. Um, but it always, always stems down to the basics and a lot of people tend to avoid the basics. Um, things like sleep, nutrition, um, and, and managing stresses outside of the, the training environment. But to answer your question, um, yeah, the youngest age would be possible. So like, as long as you can get them to sit down in front of you, maybe 10 years old, a little bit young, but I know at Crew and Blackburn, um, 13 and upwards, the education programs nailed on. I know at Crew, there was presentations, nutrition presentations to the kids, Right. It was all revolved around games, but that's when we'd start getting it in because that's when they, they absorb it and it has a huge transfer to their, their football life um, and then their future as well. Right. No, that's so interesting. And I, and, and I, I thought that I just was curious to know, and especially the fact that, that in Canada, players don't have that system, and right? So I think, and, and in, it seems like in, in these academies, you know, you're, you're pretty much walk through it, right? You're, you're eating at the, at the facility. You're, you're there a lot of the time. And so you're almost left little time to make decisions. And I feel like players here from where we're at have a lot more time to choose. They're choosing their breakfast. They're choosing their lunch. They're choosing when they go to bed. They're choosing all these things. And so it's, it's, it's important to understand that those decisions impact your, your game, right? Oh, massively, massively. So to touch on that, Kyle, what would you recommend like a under 14, under 15 kind of player? You know, they don't, they don't have some sort of sports science support. They don't have an academy structure. How, how should they kind of prepare for that on match day? Hydration, you know, eating wise, like what, what are, what are things you would recommend to that player? Um, all right. I'd stick to the basics. So like, 
um, obviously sleep. Sleep is absolutely huge. Mm -hmm. And I know from experience that a lot of younger players and athletes are not very good at sleeping necessarily and understanding staying up late exactly yeah getting seven to nine seven to nine hours of quality sleep right every night not just the day before the game because that's going to have a huge impact on recovery um learning skill so being a better footballer and physical development okay so that's that's the first thing nutrition wise making sure they're hydrated a lot regularly okay um so drinking water regularly in and around the game day, things like juice are very good. Um, if you wanted to go for a higher level um, hydration tablets, etc., depending on how much you want to treat yourself. Um, but and nutrition-wise, high protein, high low-fat protein, you know, every day, vital, good quality carbohydrates, eating a lot of fruit and veg, just basics like that. You can go into it for, for hours, I know, but mm-hmm. um as basic takeaways, those, those things are often ignored. Um, and obviously rest. So for me, like, uh, from experience, especially in China, you know, a lot of players do too much and you've got to wind them in. You've got to keep an eye on people that, all right, if you want to perform on the pitch, you've got a big game the next day. What are you doing the day before? Are you doing too much? Are you doing things that are going to interrupt the game on the, on the Saturday, you know, if you're training on the Friday, for example. So rest for me is, is another really, really big factor. Mm-hmm. No, definitely. Um, kind of one. Did you want to ask something related to that? Yeah, no. I just I think it's so important that it, you, like you said, it goes back to the basics and doing the basics right. It's so it's so. I, and I, as much as we want to talk about how you know how interesting speed development is, and it's it's so for me, it, it the takeaway is is for young players, especially here in our demographic, to understand like what really goes into what you're, you're claiming to want to be, which is a professional player. And if you don't have these habits that players around the world do, it's impossible to compete. Right. So it's just, it's, it's refreshing to hear that the the basics still carry so much weight, you know, Mm -hmm. in all aspects, whether they're technical or just quality of life. Yeah. Yeah. I think what uh, people are kind of expecting here is, you know, if someone from, you know, professional academy systems coming on to talk about some advanced methods, but what they do over there is hammer the basics at a young age and make sure that's done at a high level. You know, the simple things done to a high level each year to hammer it, those habits away. And cause that is what will take you the farthest. And then at the top, you know, when you get to the pros, that's when you can worry about those small little details. Um, so it's definitely refreshing to hear. And I know and a big one after the, the match there, um, you know, speaking with kids around here, like parents aren't aware, like just getting enough protein post-match or post-training, just, you know, they want to, they want to train, they want to go to the gym, they want to do all these things, but they're not fueling that work. Right. So it's uh, definitely something as simple as that mm-hmm. takes you a long way. Um, and it always comes back to the basics. Like we'll, we'll do education, refresh, refresher sessions with like professional players at, at the club in China. Right. Which, by the way, there's no under-18 scholarship system, academy. There's no real good academy system in China, and it's so noticeable, especially from physical development and knowledge, right? A knowledge perspective. So I'm like, 
I'm looking around what they're eating. I know I'm realizing what they're doing when I first get in there, what they're doing off the field. I'm like, right, right, we need to educate these players. Boom. Because they're not had that, right? So noticeable. But when you start educating them, again, on the basics, performance increases, injuries reduce. Right. You know, voila, simple. And it always goes back to the basics. People think fancy dancy stuff, all the all the all the the small stuff is the most important. But all right, if you, if you get the basics right, brilliant. Then the the additional extras are, are, are good. But yeah, you're wasting your time otherwise. It's true. So it all comes out like all that nutrition, all that recovery, all that training, right? Doing all the simple things consistently will keep you healthy on the pitch. So I mean, like in terms of training wise, you know, what would you recommend to players at home? Kind of, um, you know in terms of the training side, right? We've touched on nutrition, sleep, you know, some, you know, some things they, they would do at home. What would you recommend them looking at and stuff like that? Um, well, obviously if you can get access to a professional level coach, then that'll go, that'll work wonders. If you can get access to a proper program written by a coach, then awesome. Get some exposure coaching one-to-one even better. First and foremost, but if you haven't got access to that, then definitely sprinting. Well, for, for me, that's that's huge. The game's getting faster and faster. And one of the biggest injury prevention tools is just sprinting. So twice a week. Um, Especially for reducing hamstring injuries and you know, those who oh, sprint exactly. will will you know you said once or twice a week. How would you how would you structure that? For somebody who's um, I'd make sure. Sorry, can you say that again, please? Yeah, I said, how would you structure? You mentioned so once or twice a week. You you mentioned sprinting is is great for for both prevention and 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 actual power enhancement. But how would if I'm a young player at home and I want to get those sprints in, how would I structure that into into my workout or into my session? Okay, um, say for example, you're just doing it once a week. Mm-hmm. So first of all, make sure you're doing it on a day where it's it's two days at least after a game so you're fully recovered so you're not feeling any soreness so if you play the game on the saturday you have sunday off monday might do something so tuesday would be a nice day it doesn't have to be a tuesday uh but tuesday sprint day make sure you're really warm because you don't want to be firing yourself into doing maximum sprints mm-hmm. when your body's not prepared to so do a nice warm-up otherwise you're at risk of injury um and then as basic as building up from 10 meter sprints to three or four um, with at least let's say a minute and a half rest in between each one of those, which is something that people generally disregard the rest time. If you want to sprint fast, you've got to rest. Okay. It's just like being in the gym and you can't get under a squat bar, do an amazing set, wait 10 seconds and perform the same thing again. Ain't going to happen. Right. Same with the sprint. It's got to be, you've got to sprint fast and rest good. Keep yourself busy, do something non-physical in between if necessary, if you get bored or twitchy. It's a football thing, I get it. People want to sprint and go back into the next one, but if anyone could take anything away from this sprint conversation is that you've got to rest in between sprints. Um, and yeah, it just makes you running fast. You can get into all the technique and all that sort of stuff, but just running fast. And then maybe every week, increase it by a couple of metres, increase your rest time a little bit to match that increase in volume right yeah simple keep it simple yeah 
before a session as well. Consistent oh, practice. Yeah. Not What's before that? the session. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Not I under fatigue. When you're fresh. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Awesome. Cool. cool. I mean, uh, before we wrap up, Juan, any other any other final final questions or remarks here? No, I think, and I and I and I know we kept the 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 episode uh, very very general, and it'd be nice to have another conversation in detail about you know even as simple as that how to how to add volume, how to increase um, intensity to to something as simple as sprinting. I think there's there's enough to talk about one topic for a whole episode. So I appreciate that you kept it very general, but you still were able to, to give, to give some, some value. And I hope that players took away that, you know, as much as we can talk about very intricate things, it comes down to the consistency of, of the basics, right. In all aspects, dietary, sleep, training, gym. So I appreciate you highlighting that. And, and I'm excited to have a, a second conversation with you hopefully soon. Hey, no problem. Yeah. 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 Cool. If players want to uh, find you, Kyle, where, where can they find you? Yes. Yeah. So I'm not too big on posting about my professional stuff, but I'd happily answer any questions that anybody's got on Instagram. So my account is Kyle underscore wearing, which is K-Y-L-E underscore W-A-R-E-I-N-G. We'll link we'll link the account for sure to the to the description of the episode. All right, cool. Awesome. Thank you, gentlemen. Kyle, thank you very much for your time. And uh, yeah, I think the the people at home will enjoy this episode. So thanks, guys. All the best. Be in touch.